At Highland, we're all about celebrating little wins and little ways to innovate digital processes. There's no customer pain point too small for us to help with. Maybe that's why more than half of the Fortune 100 looks to Highland to connect their content and data, improve processes, and turn little efficiencies into big wins for their customers and clients. Highland, intelligent content solutions for innovators everywhere at highland.com. Episode 169 of the Read to Lead podcast is brought to you in part by Cloud Accounting Software FreshBooks, offering a free 30-day unrestricted trial. You can take advantage of it right now by going to freshbooks.com slash read to lead and entering read to lead in the how did you hear about a section. diminisher they're leaders that either are so intimidating that people hold back or they're just people who are so capable themselves that other people don't feel the need to step up welcome to the read to lead podcast with jeff brown jeff believes that if you desire to achieve true success in business and in life then consistent and intentional reading is a must the read to lead podcast will not only help you narrow this ever important reading list but also bring you key insights and valuable feedback from some of today's most successful and inspiring authors. And now here's Jeff. Hi there. I'm so glad you found the podcast that is dedicated to your personal and professional growth. Leadership at the core of what we talk about, of course, but we also dig into topics like personal growth, productivity, career, business, marketing, sales, and entrepreneurship. Uh, Today, you and I are going to be joined by Liz Weissman. She's the author of the book, Multipliers, How the Best Leaders Make Everyone Smarter. Now, If that sounds familiar to you, it's probably because Liz has been on the show a couple of times before once to talk about this very book, which first came out in 2010. But it's being released in a newly revised and updated edition, and there's plenty of new stuff to get excited about. There's two brand new chapters in the book. There's a new section on how to affect lasting cultural change inside your company, a new set of tools to enable you to put the ideas from the book into action, a number of new case studies, and even a new preface that describes the changing landscape of management and why you as a leader can and must get more from your talent. And with this new material in mind, I'll be asking Liz to share about what to do when you work for the kind of boss Liz calls a diminisher, how to prevent yourself from becoming an accidental diminisher, how to put into practice true multiplier leadership type traits, and plenty more. Well, I must say the leadership behind our sponsor, Cloud Accounting Software FreshBooks, is doing a bang-up job because the all-new FreshBooks is better than ever. I use it in my business every day, and if you're looking for the perfect online accounting solution, then look no further than FreshBooks Cloud Accounting Software. I've personally been using FreshBooks in my business for eight years. If, if that's not enough to convince you to give it a try, then I'll add that the all-new FreshBooks is ridiculously easy to use, and it's completely transformed how freelancers and small business owners like me deal with the day-to-day paperwork. It's been redesigned from the ground up and custom built for the way you work. They've got a free 30-day trial you can take advantage of right now, meaning you get to use all of FreshBooks features and check them out at absolutely no cost for an entire month when you go to freshbooks.com slash read to lead. Now, when you get there, be sure to enter read to lead 
in the how did you hear about us section because that helps us. Again, that address one more time is freshbooks.com slash read to lead to try for free 30 days the all new FreshBooks cloud accounting software platform. Liz Weissman teaches leadership to executives and emerging leaders around the world. She's the president of the Weissman Group, a leadership research and development firm that's headquartered in Silicon Valley. Some of her recent clients include folks like Apple, Disney, eBay, PayPal, Facebook, Gap, Google, Microsoft, Nike, Salesforce.com, and Twitter. Liz has been listed on the Thinkers 50 ranking and named as one of the top 10 leadership thinkers in the world and recipient of the 2016 ATD Champion of Talent Award. She's the author of three best-selling books, including the one we're going to be talking about today. There's Rookie Smarts, Why Learning Beats Knowing in the New Game of Work, which was featured in episode 62. The Multiplier Effect, Tapping the Genius in Insider Schools, and the book we're revisiting today, Multipliers, How the Best Leaders Make Everyone Smarter. We first touched on this book with Liz back in episode 30. She's conducted significant research in the field of leadership and collective intelligence. She writes for Harvard Business Review and Fortune, and her work has appeared in the Wall Street Journal, Fast Company, Entrepreneur, Inc., and Time Magazines, and she's a frequent guest lecturer at BYU and Stanford University. Lastly, she's a former executive at Oracle Corporation, where she worked over the course of 17 years as the vice president of Oracle University and as the global leader for human resource development. During her tenure at Oracle, she led several major global initiatives and has worked and traveled in over 40 countries. Well, I'm not sure if if Liz is is aware of this, but uh, this visit marks her third, which puts her in a first place tie with Jeff Goins for most visits by any guest on the Read to Lead podcast. And so I guess I should have come prepared with a like a trophy ceremony or something, but alas, I didn't. But uh, nonetheless, congratulations, Liz, uh, for your third appearance on the Read to Lead podcast. Well, I'm glad to be here. Has it occurred to you? It's because we like you and <laughs> we like talking to you and and we like you, but we, I also like your voice, too. So it's, it's good to be here with you. Well, thank you. That, that, uh, likewise. I will say one caveat, though. Jeff uh, Goins and I were just corresponding this morning. He's got a book coming out next month. So this tie that you're currently in may not last <laughs> too long. Well, I, I, yeah, the, the, the jealousy is swelling up here, but not enough that makes me want to go try to knock out a book in okay. the next month. Might be kind of hard. Earn, to earn a fourth appearance. Right. <laughs> we'll get to it eventually, I'm sure. I'm sure. Well, uh, let's talk about Multipliers, a book that, that first came out, uh, gosh, I think seven uh, years ago. Uh, and as you know, I think, Liz, one of my favorite uh, leadership books of all time. Uh, I first want to bring folks up to speed, anybody who might not be familiar with your work or with the book. So let's start by defining a couple of terms, uh, compare and contrast, if you would, a multiplier type leader versus a diminisher type leader. Well, a multiplier leader, let, let's start with the diminisher, because I think actually most of us think about this in terms of some of the leaders that we've had that, that have shut people down. So yeah. a diminisher is a leader who is smart and capable themselves, but that doesn't end up translating to the smarts and capability of their team. Like they're smart, mm. but people around them don't get to be fully smart. It's not that they hire dumb people so that they look good. <laughs> it's that smart people don't get to fully 
to be fully intelligent around them, that the, the manager's intelligence and capability ends up being used as a weapon, mm. shutting down people around them. They're leaders that either are so intimidating that people hold back around them, play it safe, like only offer the tamest ideas, or they're just people who are so capable themselves that other people don't feel the need to step up. They mm. they kind of passively let that leader become the intellectual leader or the bully because they just defer up to them. Um, and in contrast, a multiplier leader is someone who is also smart and capable themselves, but they use their intelligence in a way that provokes, um, invites, maybe even dares the people around them to be intelligent at, at their best. Their intelligence is used more as a tool than a weapon. They're leaders who bring out the very best in the people around them. They multiply the intelligence of others. Well, I'm excited about uh, many of the, the book's editions, uh, and among them, uh, the first one I want to talk about is dealing with diminishers. That's one of the new chapters, and sometimes that diminisher, oftentimes that diminisher is the person that we that we answer to. I've, I've answered to a diminisher or two, and, and frankly, uh, I've been in that position of being a diminisher where, you know, it wasn't just about telling you what to do. It was telling you how to do it. You had to do it Jeff's way. Uh, so, so what are some ways, Liz, we can, we can minimize their impact on us and those around us? And if, if that, that person is our boss, sort of manage up or, or multiply up, as you, as you say. Well, and I think that is the main point is that often people are trying to manage up. And, mm. and really the message of this chapter, which is a major new addition to the book, is to multiply up. And, uh, you know, actually, it's the reason why this whole second edition exists. It was it was purely therapeutic on my part. And it, it really started with a conversation I had with my publisher, Hollis Heimbach, at, at HarperCollins. And I'm like, Hollis, you know, in the seven years that this book has been out, I can't, you know, I'm a magnet for diminisher stories, as you can imagine. And and I was telling her how as many people who are as, are as inspired by the book, who, who want to go out and, and be multipliers... There's at least as many people who say, yeah, I very much want to be one of these kind of leaders. But but Liz, let me tell you about my reality. My reality <laughs> is that I'm dealing with diminishers. And I, I noticed how much energy, if not um, psychic energy, was being consumed by people who were trying to be good leaders themselves, but they're being kind of oppressed by the leadership around them. And I mean, honestly, what they probably really wanted from me was like, how do I get rid of this person? Like, almost like they're looking for an assassination uh, service or something. Like, <laughs> I, you know, like, okay, how do I get rid of this person? Okay, well, you know, if I can't kill them, can you at least come in and turn them into a multiplier? Like, no, mm. I can't poof them into the boss that you want. And so it, it leaves this third option is, how do I deal with them? And so I, I did a lot of research. Actually, honestly, I did as much research on this question of how do we deal with the miniatures as I did for all the, the research I did for the original book, mm. um, because I really wanted to get this right. And what I looked at was what are the strategies currently in play out in our workplace? How do people deal with diminishing bosses? And is it working? And if not, what works? And what I found is that most of the strategies people are using today just don't that they don't work. Mm. Um, in fact, I'll, I'll give you a little quiz. Are you up for a little quiz? Sure. Okay, I'm going to give you the the five most 
prevalent strategies people use. Only one of these actually makes the list of the five most effective strategies. Mm. So, you know, if you're listening to this, which one is it? Number one, and these are in rank order, uh, confront them. Number two is avoid them, you know, kind of close your door. Number three, quit, quit your job. Number four, comply and lay low, which is essentially quit and stay in your job. <laughs> Or five, ignore the diminishing behaviors. That's in rank order of frequency. Mm. Can you pick from that list the one that you would think would actually be effective, that actually works? Uh, gosh, um, quit. <laughs> <laughs> well, quit is, quit is typically effective, but here's the problem with quit. I mean, quit in some ways is perfectly effective, but what we find is that people end up just going and working for another diminisher. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe like a moth to a flame, perhaps. Mm. It's one of the things I put in the book is a shopping guide for finding a new boss. Like, how do you <laughs> shop? And a lot of people look for jobs, mm. but very few people shop for their boss. I actually think it's the most important thing when wow. you're taking a new job, particularly if you're coming out of college, mm. because I think that first boss you go to work for has a deep imprint in in how people work throughout their career. But um, so on that list, back to the list, the only one of those five strategies that we find really works is ignoring the diminishing behavior. Really? Yeah. You know, the, the strategies that turned out to be the most effective were really around changing our response to the behavior. Like the least effective strategies are confront them avoid them, mm. comply and lay low, convince them that you're right, or or to take HR action. Mm. We found those definitely do not work. This, the strategies that, that work really emanate from a very different assumption is that although you can't change the diminisher's behavior, you can lessen the diminishing response. And that is if you take the role instead of trying to change their behavior, you change your behavior, which causes them to lead more like a multiplier. Um, maybe we can talk through an example of this. Um, do you want to be, are you feeling like you want to be the diminisher in this scenario or the multiplier in this scenario? <laughs> like what kind of day is it for you? Do you uh, want to be evil boss or? I'll, I'll be evil boss. Sure. Why not? Okay. Why not? <laughs> okay. So Jeff, let's assume. I, I played Jesus once. I never got to play the devil. <laughs> yeah, okay. Good. Good. So you're going to be the diminisher. I work, let's say I work for you and, um, You've, you really are a micromanager, like you are controlling and dictating and micromanaging. Let's say you're micromanaging me. Now, mm. my natural response is judgment. And mm -hmm. I think to your point of sort of the good and the evil mm -hmm. is we look at the actions of diminishing leaders and we naturally judge them to be wrong. I think there's something inside of us, like a conscious, a moral compass that says it's wrong to control other people. It's right. wrong to take the agency <laughs> away from others, because that's essentially what diminishers are doing. Like, I'll tell you what to think. Mm -hmm. and, and so I judge it as wrong. So if I now judge you as wrong, as a bad boss, as diminishing, my tendency is um, to stop listening to you, to exclude you, to criticize you, to probably criticize you to other people. Like I'm talking smack mm. about you as a boss, which 
as I exclude you and stop listening to you, and you've got strong, like, dictating, controlling, micromanaging tendencies, what do you think actually happens? Like, what's your next move? <laughs> well, it's it's to uh, think long and hard about whether or not you remain employed here, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> You're going right for the judges. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's, it, it, it's that people then actually causes that diminisher to get more aggressive. Mm. Maybe like, hey, I'm going to remove you, but mm. sort of an interim step that most managers would take is to be more aggressive by doubling down on the behavior. Mm. Like, okay, you exclude me. I'm actually going to go in, you know, more often and, and deeper on this. I'm going to check your work. I'm going to like keep popping by your office. I'm going to keep, you know, like copy me on every note. Diminishers tend to double down on diminishing behaviors when their employees respond with judgment or criticism. And and now, of course, in that scenario, we not just have one diminisher, we actually end up two diminishers because I've ended up kind of diminishing you. Like I've now joined the ranks of the diminishers, very unaware that I have have done it. Because see, I'm trying to suppress you. Mm-hmm. And And what I found is that when people, instead of trying to manage up and manage their bosses, if they, in your words, they multiply up, it completely changes the dynamic. It doesn't change the diminisher. You still probably have are a, a bit, you know, a micromanager and a dictator. But mm. let's look at how it changes the dynamic. You micromanage, you dictate. I don't like it, but instead I respond with the hallmark of a multiplier, which is intellectual curiosity. Mm. Gee, I wonder why Jeff's got to be in his bonnet on this <laughs> stuff. Like, um, you know, what what is he concerned about? I wonder why he feels so much pressure. I'm, you know, I wonder why he doesn't trust me. Mm. Or maybe even like the simplest form of curiosity is like, I wonder who did a number on him. (laughs) You know, sometimes when I'm really dealing with a very diminishing colleague or boss, I just sit back and think, what role models did they have? Mm. Like who, who put the, who put this person on this path? And sometimes it's just thinking about what caused them to hold this assumption that other people were going to let them down or that other people couldn't figure it out without them. Like, gee, I wonder what they're feeling insecure about might be the best question you can ask. <laughs> and if I figure out, like, what is what is Jeff so insecure about, then I can think, oh, he's he's worried about what the people above him think. How do I give him the assurance that he needs so that he's not worried? that he's not feeling insecure or whatever. So let's say I respond with curiosity. Mm. And as I do that, I want to consider your perspective. I need to listen and learn. I need, and I invite you in. So instead of keeping you at bay, what if I bring you in? What if I give you an invitation to the party? I copy you on everything. Um, I ask you to weigh in, to check my work. Now, how do you respond? Yeah, then 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 I'm prompted to be probably more or less of a micromanager, I think, and and to eventually want to grant more trust and, and autonomy, which it which is what that person is is only seeking. It sounds like. Well, you're exactly right. It's all you know when people are dealing with diminishers. Probably what they seek more than anything is autonomy. How do I get? space. The the word space just kept coming up over and over when I did (laughs) original research. It's like, this person's like in my space, in my business. And how do I get the space I need 
to think, to work, to contribute, to take ownership for that. And, and really, when we respond to diminishers with multiplying behavior, it actually earns us more space. Now, it doesn't magically transform that person. Mm-hmm. They're probably still leading in much the same way, but it transforms our relationship, my experience with you. And, and in some ways, it's a little bit of a selfish strategy because it's like, how do I get space? And maybe that person's going to go torment somebody else, which I probably should feel a little guilty about. Mm. But it really does change the dynamic and create enough trust that I now can do my best work for you. And of course, it creates this virtuous cycle as I respond with curiosity and empathy. You grant me more space. I contribute, which starts to build multiplier assumptions in the diminishing boss, right? You now think, Mm. oh, Liz isn't going to let me down. She's going to get it done. And then, you know, maybe it even builds the assumption of, man, when I give her stuff, she knocks it out of the park. And soon we see this diminishing relationship turn into a multiplying relationship. Mm. Uh, But it it really is about multiplying up. Well, I think it's it's safe to say, in fact, uh, Liz gives a nod to this in in the new preface of the book, that that since the release, the original release of the book, things have been changing for the better. More multipliers, I think, fewer diminishers. But uh, is it safe to say, Liz, that most managers are still maybe overestimating their, their multiplier characteristics a bit? Yeah, they are. I think when I first did the research, one of the surprising findings was just how few diminishers understood their diminishing impact. Mm. And, you know, that although I was out studying what I considered the tyrannical, narcissistic, bully type leaders, like the true bad bosses, Mm. the evil bosses, you know, what I discovered is that most of the diminishing that is happening in our workplaces is happening by accidental diminishers, people with the very, very best of intent. And there's actually a a new chapter on the accidental diminisher. And I try to profile ways that really well-intended leaders can have a diminishing impact. It's soft diminishing, but Mm. it's actually as damaging as the hard, you know, hitting diminishing. Mm. But, But it's funny, when, when the book first came out, we started assessing managers we found that most managers were overestimating their diminishing impact. And I think the reason why is because anyone who was taking this assessment was doing it with this knowledge of like multipliers and diminishers. And I think people were like, you know, am I one of these diminishers? So I think people were um, taking this assessment with heightened sensitivity Mm. toward their diminishing effect. Right. Now, meanwhile, time has gone by. These terms, multiplier and diminisher, are, well, they're hardly ubiquitous, but people are f- more familiar with the concepts. Right. And I think people are like, yeah, I've, I'm definitely one of these multipliers. And we're finding people are now more likely to overassess their multiplier behaviors. And I think it's because they've been working at it or they really. Like they have the heart of a multiplier, but yet aren't really addressing all of their accidental diminisher tendencies. In in that section, the new section, uh, I think it's uh, part of uh, a new appendix, I believe, multiplier experiments. Is that right? Yes. 
I think one suggestion is being willing to ask uh, your people to to do something maybe just one step beyond what you or they even think they're they're capable of is is one example of an accidental diminisher or maybe just a diminisher period is somebody who who as a leader finds it difficult to ask people to do hard things you know it really is i have found that a lot of well-intended leaders fall short because they're not I, I, I want to say mean enough, but I am really, I mean, I, I, Jeff, you know, I am trying to rid the world of bad bosses, right. like, not, not so subtly. And, and I'm not trying to create meaner people, but there's a lot of managers who fall short because they aren't comfortable asking other people to become uncomfortable. Like they're, they're going easy. They're too nice. They don't want to give someone something that's brutally hard. And I can tell you, everyone who has been a multiplier to me, with maybe the one exception of my husband, who is uh, just makes me feel like a genius all the time. But with the other exceptions, all of them have been people who've asked me, if not insisted, that I do something really hard and have just allowed me to suffer. Mm. Like my husband comes in and probably rescues me when he sees that I'm mm. like really like struggling with something. But everyone else, they're like unsympathetic. <laughs> like, hey, Liz, you can do this hard thing. And they just haven't released me of responsibility for doing the hard thing. So I think one of the um, traits, characteristics that we need to develop is a willingness to step back and watch people writhe and struggle <laughs> with difficult um, work and I'm maybe the experiment that you might have seen that one was just this supersize it experiment like mm, yeah, give someone yeah. a job that's too big yeah. something that feels uncomfortably large something they have to grow into and it's one of I think there's about I don't know 10 or a dozen of these experiments all these experiments in the book we were um, giving people through our workshops and the training we were doing and then I just had one of these moments like oh wow that means that it's only people who have the time or money to go to a workshop <laughs> can get the development. Mm. Like I'm just going to put them in the book yeah. so that as many people as possible have access to these tools to build good leadership because I am trying to rid the world of bad bosses. Mm. Well, and I love that about the book. It's, I mean, it's one thing to read a book. It's another to effectively put it into action. And, and I feel like that's exactly what that section is designed to make sure you're able to do once you, once you read it. And I also love that there are some some new questions. You've taken some of these questions you talked about, these popular questions you've gotten over the years since the book's uh, original release, and, and added them to the, to the FAQ section. I'd love to dig into a couple of these, uh, if we can, some of the more popular ones. Would that be okay? Absolutely. So, so number one on my list, in your experience, uh, what do you say to folks who ask, well, well, Liz, what about leading in times of crisis? Does, does, does this still apply, multipliers versus diminishers? What changes or does anything change? Yeah, this is probably second to the question about Steve Jobs. You know, was Steve Jobs <laughs> oh, that's my next a, a multiplier? <laughs> okay, yeah, we'll, we'll go there. But this has been the big thing. Like people say like, I get it. I get it. Like, I understand that we work in an environment where there's sort of too much for any one person to know, and we need to have innovation and, you know, cross-functional teams. Like, I understand that I need to lead as a multiplier, but what about when something's off the rails? Mm. What about when something's really high stakes? What about when something's gone really wrong? Like, aren't there times where it's appropriate to be a diminisher? Now, usually when I get this question, I try to be precise with the language because are there times where you should diminish 
Now, technically, the answer to that is no, never, because diminish means literally to shut down the capability of others. I think there's very few times where you really want to say, like, <laughs> you stop thinking, <laughs> stop talking, stop thinking. I want nothing from you. There's very few times where you truly need to shut some people down. Mm. But are there times where it's appropriate to to dictate, mm. to micromanage to use some of this behavior that tends to be diminishing, and maybe even more interestingly, can you actually behave in that way under circumstances and have it not be diminishing? And I think the answer to those questions is absolutely yes. Um, let me let me offer maybe an extreme example. It was um, not too long after the the book, the first edition had come out, that we got a request from the Yale Medical School, and they wanted me to come um, out there to New Haven to train their physician leaders on how to be multipliers. Mm. Now, you're going to hear some of my own biases come in in this because when we got the request, you know, my first response is, no, I don't want to go. <laughs> like, <laughs> and it has nothing to do with uh, Yale or New Haven. I'm like, that is not going to go well mm. <laughs> because I understand like physician leaders and physicians enough. Um, I have a friend who's a physician who, as I was writing the book, he's like, Liz, physicians are like trained diminishers mm. and surgeons. So, so I go out there anyway, and I'm thinking this might not go very well. Well, you know, it turns out it actually was going extremely well, mm. where these these group of you know top physicians who run the residency programs. So these you know this amazing elite school with this elite residency program, and it was going very well until at one point the conversation came to a head, and they're like, you know what? Hey, we got to tell you how, what we think about this, like. This whole di idea of leaders and multiplier, that's great. That's great. But we're just not sure, Liz, you understand what we do. You know, mm -hmm. and they say this as if I've never been in a hospital before. <laughs> like, you know, I've never, like, hey, I watched ER, you know, when I was a kid in the 70s. I understand that. And, you know, every movie does not, every movie, like, have some scene where there's, like, a, a heart monitor and it's, like, bump, bump, and then it flatlines. <laughs> I'm like, I get the concept of flatlining. And they're like, when someone is flatlining in the OR, mm. this is not a multiplier moment. And of course, I'm thinking about like one of my children lying there on the, the you know, in the OR and or myself or anyone. I'm thinking, yeah, OK, I get it. I understand that when someone's life is at risk, you need to to tell someone what to do. And they're like, yeah, we need to yell at people. And I think we've all heard the stories about what happens in the OR as, as surgeons are yelling at the surgical team about what to do. I'm like, yeah, I get that. But then I asked, what percentage of your time is spent in those situations? And they thought about it and they all kind of like conferred a bit. And they said, probably um, three to five percent of our time. So, OK, so I understand why three to five percent of your time you need to bark orders, tell people what to do, criticize, yell, scream, you know, whatever, <laughs> throw things if you need to, to save a life. But. What about the other 95 to 97% of your time? How do you need to lead there? And is it possible that you could lead in such a way during the 95% of your time that isn't a life or death moment that would actually allow people to be at their most intelligent in that 5% that moment? Or even better, could you lead in a way during the 95% of your day or week or month that was so enabling and multiplying and growing of the people around you that when you yell and throw, 
they actually welcome it. They trust you. They know that you're doing it as an exception and they know that they need to fall in line and do exactly what you've asked them to do. So I think in times of crisis, yes, we often need to go to some otherwise diminishing behaviors. But if we go in and we go out of these and return back to a different way of of leading, it allows us to continue to be a multiplier. And maybe even I, I, one thing that I tend to do when I go into these is I label it. I'm like, I am going into diminisher mode. <laughs> and the reason why I label it is to warn people. It's like mm. a storm warning system, mm. like Liz is in her diminishing mode. <laughs> but it's really a warning to me, which is you're going in. Don't forget to come out. Mm. When you lead like a multiplier by rule, you really earn the right to have these diminishing moments by exception. And we're all going to have them. Mm. Like who doesn't have these moments? Right. (laughs) Well, you hinted at the other question. And when I saw it uh, pop up in in this new edition of the book, uh, I had to laugh because it's a question I literally have have wondered about myself. And and I want to ask it here. And and that's when you look at examples like, and probably the most famous one is, is, is Steve Jobs. Uh, who seemingly had strong, you know, diminisher characteristics and streaks. How how do you explain that in light of the success uh, during his his time at Apple? Yeah, well, th- th- that's an interesting one, um, and I do get that question all the time. And the the question about Steve Jobs is really it's a surrogate question. It's a question about strong, successful leaders. I live right in the heart of Silicon Valley. And so we see we see a lot of these leaders in tech. And they're often these iconic leaders. Um, journals and newspapers love to write articles about them. And part of it is it's more fun to explore the diminishing qualities of some of these leaders. But, you know, here's what we found is that some of these strong leaders, especially founders, have diminishing characteristics. It's undeniable. Like they they are present and they often lead successful corporations. But when you really double click on these leaders for every strong diminishing quality they have, you can find strong multiplier qualities as well. If you look at Steve Jobs, you can see uh, strong micromanaging tendencies a little bit, you know, some tyrannical kinds of behavior. They're undeniable. Like, mm. We've all you know, heard the stories, read the stories. I've seen some of that behavior. But if you look over on the multiplier side, you see a presence of a talent magnet, you know, an ability to attract really capable people and to see and use their genius. This is one of Steve's geniuses is the ability to, to surround himself with other people who were brilliant. I, I've, I've interviewed some of these people who work at Apple and they said, Steve was absolutely a multiplier to me. Like I did my best work around him. I would go work for him anywhere. Yes, he yelled, he screamed, he had these, but like he saw a capability in me and and he used it. Um, Or the challenger discipline, um, you know, those stories about Steve where he kind of like gives someone the eye and said like, here's the thing I need you to do. And they're like, I don't know. I don't think it can be done. I don't think I can do that. And then he would just stare a little bit longer until people said, I'm up for the challenge. So it's not that they don't have diminishing tendencies, absolutely. But often the multiplier tendencies outpower them. It's more fun to talk and write articles about the diminisher tendencies, of course. Um, (laughs) Or 
you sometimes see some of these people who are, their diminisher tendencies outweigh their multiplier tendencies. You know, they've got more diminishing moments in a week than multiplier moments. Mm. And we often find those people um, surround themselves with a management team that compensates you know, the Tim Cooks at Apple. And you see this profile a lot where they bring in presidents or COOs or other leaders who play that multiplier role in the environment. Um, And, you know, some of them you see mature over time. You know, Bill Gates might be one of these kind of leaders who you've seen grow and mature along with their businesses. And some of them, you know, they don't adapt or grow or counteract their own diminishing tendencies. And their businesses do extremely well in in times of plenty or growth, but you see them hit bumps in the roads and often their organizations don't recover or outlast them. That's been my experience and what I've seen trying to study this. And in, 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 from what I've read about uh, Steve Jobs, I've read the, the Walter Isaacson biography, for example, among other things, and, and he certainly had no problem leveraging the collective brain power of the room and wasn't bashful about doing so and certainly not threatened or intimidated by the smarts of others, many multiplying uh, uh, characteristics and also a fantastic uh, connector. I mean, I think that's kind of what helped get Apple off the ground and get it off the ground strong. You had this engineering faction and you had the creative side uh, and, and, and you know, two factions that didn't know how to, how to communicate with one another and he bridged that gap. Yeah, absolutely. And his the stories about the collaboration, it's almost like he dictated collaboration. <laughs> and and you know, I think another thing that we often see and and one I appreciate because I grew up in Silicon Valley and the multipliers I've worked with have had a hard edge. I mean, they were very demanding people is we often see you know, we see some of these multipliers that that manifest themselves in the form of these kind of warm, empowering, engaging leaders. But mm-hmm. most most of them really get the best from people because they also have a hard edge. They're demanding. They're tough. Um, you know, you have to, I think, look at the assumptions too behind people's people's behavior. Are they demanding and tough because they think everyone around them is an idiot, <laughs> or are they demanding because they see genius? and brilliance and capability and possibilities, and they want it. Mm. They want it for the organization. They want it for the mission. Um, so sometimes you see them with a little bit of a an edge. Not all cupcakes and kisses kinds of leaders. <laughs> well, I, I want to ask you a couple of questions in the few minutes we have left, if I may, uh, that are not directly related uh, to this uh, revised and updated edition of the book. Uh, but before I do that, is there is there anything else from this new version that you, you want to make sure we know, Liz? Well, I, you know, not necessarily from the the version. I I will share with you an insight that I've had over the last seven years. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe I'll share two insights Mm -hmm. is I think I started this work thinking that there were multiplier and diminisher leaders. And to be a multiplier, you had to A, not be a diminisher and B, (laughs) be a multiplier. (laughs) And and I've come to see it a little differently. And it's to really get a multiplier effect on your team, what you have to do is make sure you have more multiplier moments. Like, how do you maximize the multiplier moments around you? Mm. And I see it less as a profile of a person and more as um, a response to a situation. If you want to be a multiplier leader, how do you create as many multiplier moments around you Mm. as possible? And I guess I think the other thing I would share for those of you who – aren't going to read the book, aren't going to buy the book, you know, don't want the tools, none of that. And you just like really just want this in a true nutshell. I'll, I'll tell you what I've learned 
is that the best leaders bring together two conditions. It's a duality. It's safety and stretch. How do I create safety for people to do their best thinking? And then once I've got that safety, I'm not just going to leave it at, oh, this is a great place to work. I'm going to use that to, to yield great work, mm. create safety, and then ask people to do things that are hard, mm. have the hard-hitting debates, create safety and stretch. And if you do that in this small but you know continuous cycle, you will build an environment of brilliance around you. So that's a shortcut for people who are like, eh, I don't want to read to lead. I just, <laughs> who snuck onto your podcast, <laughs> right. who just want to lead. I love it. I love it. Well, uh, a question that I've had on the list uh, the last two times that we spoke, uh, with the intention of asking you, and I don't think I got to it either time. Uh, I definitely want to get in this time. As somebody who... Uh, speaks frequently, uh, keynotes and and, and, and consulting and and TED Talks, et cetera. Uh, I'd love to hear from you, Liz, some of your tips for for delivering an impactful and memorable uh, talk. Boy, that, okay, that's going to get me thinking. Well, (laughs) let me, um, I'll share maybe a conceptual thing and then a very practical thing. I think at the most conceptual level, it's when we give a talk, it's very easy for us to do that from our point of view. And I think the best talks are where it's not about what someone else is saying. The best talks are what someone else is thinking. Meaning Mm -hmm. when I give a talk, there's nothing that I say that's going to end up being that valuable or that memorable or that impactful. But what will have impact is the conversation that someone is having in their own head. It's what other people are thinking while you're talking. So you can either do all the thinking for them Mm. and then there's nothing going on in their head and their fingers are probably on their, you know, their phone doing something (laughs) else. Or you can present just enough and ask the right questions that it provokes somebody else thinking. It's, you know, it's kind of like going to church and that it's not so much what the preacher is saying. It's the reflection you're having. Mm while you're there. And, and so I try to think about how do I provoke good thinking in the room? Mm. So that maybe is one thought. And then I, I, I've learned that if you really want people to remember certain things, you have to build around those ideas. Um, I was getting ready to do a, a big talk and it was, you know, being broadcast to like a very, very large group of people, hundreds of thousands of people. And mm. I was like, oh, I, you know, I really want people to remember certain ideas. And so what I did is I was preparing my whole outline of my script. I went in. It's a Word document. And I blue highlighted. I just happened to remember it was blue. I blue highlighted the ideas, the nuggets, the sound bites. I'm like, oh, I need to make sure. And I started this thinking, I just need to make sure I don't forget to make these points. Mm. And then because I blue highlighted them, they really stuck out of the document. And so... <laughs> Like I really got those anchored in, mm. and I think I ended up nailing those points. And as I was looking at the the Twitter feed after the talk, like all the tweets were the blue points, and <laughs> mission and accomplished. Was, mission accomplished. <laughs> and had I not done that silly blue highlighting, <laughs> you know, I would have wandered more, and people would have maybe taken away different things. But it's like, mm. what are the couple little memorable? ideas that you want people to walk away with and kind of blue highlight them Mm. and make it easy. 
I've asked that that question a number of times, and your responses are brand new. I've never heard that advice given, and I loved them both. Well, I want to ask finally, Liz, what are you and your team working on now that that's that's got your juices flowing that you're excited about? Are you uh, just happy to put this uh, new addition to bed and and not have to think about that for a while, or are you, are you already thinking about the next thing? Oh, of course, I'm already thinking about the next thing. Now, there's a part of me that just wants to sort of retire for a while, which is like, <laughs> let me get this out there and can I just take a break? But uh, there's actually two things that we're working on. One is all of the, the content and the learning tools that we've built around multipliers. You know, we are trying to take that and and blow it up and create smaller bite-sized learning. Like, how do we deliver truly incredible learning experiences and how do we do that um, for the modern learner and so we're it's causing us to truly blow up everything that we do everything that I've built mm. and and just kind of rebuild so that's one of them it's it, it's really fun and then I'm starting to look at the next piece of, of research um, that I'm doing which really is looking at why so many people who are in senior leadership roles um, feel or appear to be broken by those roles. And does power and position, does it have to damage people? Does it have to corrupt people? Or are there leaders who hold and wield great power, but yet do it in a way that they feel whole and um authentic. And so I'm I'm starting to explore that question. And there's a couple other things I'm fascinated with, but that's enough to keep me busy. <laughs> certainly, certainly. Well, it's always a pleasure uh, to have you here, though uh, Jeff Goins may take back the lead uh, next month. Uh, I'm sure in the not too distant future, we'll have an opportunity to to welcome you uh, back uh, yet again. So thank you so much for being so generous with your time, Liz, and for filling us in on, uh, as I said earlier, one of my favorite leadership books of all time, Multipliers, and the new and updated edition out now. So we appreciate you being here. Well, thank you. Thank you for asking great questions, a hallmark of a multiplier leader. And thank you for issuing your little sick challenge about keeping me working so I can earn <laughs> my right to come back. <laughs> Wonderful multiplier behavior. So Jeff, thank you. Hey, hey I learned from the best. <laughs> Whenever I am asked to name one of my top two or three favorite leadership books ever, multipliers is always on that short list. To check out this newly revised and updated edition for yourself, any of the previous visits from Liz on the Read to Lead podcast, and any other resources we talked about today, you can visit the show notes page created especially for this episode, and you'll find that at readtoleadpodcast.com slash 169 for episode 169. If you're like me, you're always looking for a great new podcast to check out. One I can highly recommend is from my friend Rob Nunnery. It's the Fail On podcast. You can find out more about Rob's podcast at failon.com. In just a half a dozen or so episodes, Rob has already featured folks like James Altucher, A.J. Jacobs, and Cole Hatter. And his interviews are also in person, which adds a really compelling and intimate layer I found to the conversation. So check it out, failon.com from Rob Nunnery. I want to say a quick thanks to Jamie Slingerland, who in iTunes has given the Read to Lead podcast a five-star rating and written review. Thank you so much for that, Jamie. If you'd like to do likewise, whether it's five stars or not, I guess that's okay. 
You can go to readtoleadpodcast.com slash iTunes. You can also review us and rate us in Stitcher if you like. Readtoleadpodcast.com slash Stitcher. And finally, I hope you'll remember our sponsor, Cloud Accounting Software FreshBooks, with a free 30-day unrestricted trial available to you. To claim it, go to freshbooks.com slash readtolead and enter readtolead. How did you hear about a section? That's going to do it for this time around. Thank you so much for listening. I look forward to seeing you next time for the next episode of the Read to Lead podcast. Thanks so much for listening to the Read to Lead podcast. As a subscriber, we challenge you to be more than just a passive listener. Become a vital member of the community. Visit us on the web at readtoleadpodcast.com. Until next time, remember, leaders read and readers lead. 